Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. In this series, we're looking carefully at who Jesus is, and that means seeing all that Jesus is. We've said throughout the series thus far that the life of Jesus was so different, so distinct, so unique that those who encountered him came again and again and again to ask the question, who is this Jesus? What does his life mean? And what does his life mean for me, for us, for the world? Now, we've also said that these same questions are raised when you encounter the Jesus of the New Testament even today. And these questions that have been raised over and over again regarding Jesus from the beginning until the present are questions that have been given answers again and again in a variety of ways, so much so that there have been a number of uh, alternative Jesuses that have been offered to us, and that has serious consequences. This was absolutely true for the people at Colossae, and that is why we're looking together at the book of Colossae, and uh, we're looking to that book to help us answer the question, who is this Jesus, what does his life mean, and what does it mean for me, for us, and for the world? Now, Paul has been writing. We've been looking together at Colossians chapter 1. Paul has been writing a word of greeting, of introduction, and uh, we've seen together already that as he writes, he begins writing with words of affirmation. He says, I know of your faith in Christ. I know of your faith in the New Testament, in the, uh, the Christ of Bethlehem and the Christ of Calvary and the Christ of the resurrection. I know of your faith and, he says, I know of your faithfulness as well. And he defines faithfulness, do you remember? He defines faithfulness as loyalty to Christ greater than a loyalty to self and love for God's people greater than a love for self. So Paul says, I've heard about your love. I've heard about your loyalty. I've heard about your faithfulness and I rejoice in that. And I know that this faithfulness that you've been expressing rests on the living hope that you have in the living Christ. That what that kind of faithfulness, that kind of loyalty and love requires is something that you have. You have a living hope in the living Christ. And so he writes, but just like you and I, the Colossians had been given an alternative Jesus. In fact, we know from the letter that some teachers had come into Colossae, remember, they were offering a new and improved Jesus to replace the one that the uh, Colossians had put their faith in. And knowing this, Paul is very concerned. And so we find him affirming the Colossians, but then we find him as well praying for them, praying for them. Why? Because he knows this, that whatever you and I and whatever the Colossians put our faith in 
immediately becomes for us the source of what we hope for. And whatever we hope for, we ultimately live for. What we put our faith in gives us our hope. What we put our hope in determines how we live. What we put our faith in determines what we hope for, and what we hope for determines what we live for. And when our hope fails us in this life, we lose our reason to live. Now, failed hope is is something that is epidemic in our culture there is a, 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 an urgent pursuit today of something to believe in and something to live for. Uh, the Chicago Tribune, I noticed just this week two articles, one in the Chicago Tribune and one in the uh, New Yorker. In the Chicago Tribune, I think it was published on Thursday, had a, a, an article on uh, millennials and witchcraft. The title of it was, So Many Witches, A Craving, watch this, for magic and for meaning drives millennials to spells and potions and rituals. And the article says that witchcraft is gaining ground, particularly among millennials, because they're looking for spiritual meaning. What does that mean? It means they're looking for a faith that will give them hope. We, we humans understand that, that we've got to have something that we put our confidence in, something that will give us a reason to live or we have no reason to get up in the morning. A second article came from the New Yorker magazine that explored the rise of astrology, not just witchcraft as Chicago was reporting, but astrology. And it says that there is a rise in astrology because we live in an age of uncertainty. The article says this new popularity of astrology is explained often by the result of the decline of organized religion, of economic uncertainty, and political panic. But it says, in times of crisis, people always search for something to believe in. And so anxiety's up, depression's up, loneliness is up, and what we're seeing in our culture are people who are looking, desperately looking for a faith to have, a hope to live for, and and a way uh, to, to, to live out life that has meaning. We're looking for faith, looking for faithfulness, looking, looking desperately for hope. Proverbs 13, 12 explains this perfectly. Are you familiar with this passage? It says, hope deferred or hope that is lost or hope that is crushed makes the heart sick. But a desire fulfilled, a hope fulfilled is a tree of life. And so what we're experiencing in our nation is uh, this incredible loss of faith in in money, in politics, uh, an incredible loss of faith in the things that we thought might give us meaning. And we're searching, 
like humanity always has for something reliable to believe in, something reliable to hope for, and something reliable to be faithful to. But when these things fail us, whether it be money or political power or whatever, we find ourselves in a crisis of hope. And we find ourselves in a crisis of hopelessness without good reasons to live. And so we're always looking for something else to put our faith in, to put our hope in, to be faithful to. Now, this is what I want you to see. Just because you may be a follower of Jesus doesn't mean you can't lose your hope. Just because you're a follower of Jesus doesn't mean you can't lose your faithfulness. Paul, as he's writing to these Colossians who were uh, so wonderfully faithful, so full of hope, he's very, very concerned for them because this option exists before them like it exists for us, this option of taking the true Jesus and exchanging him for a new Jesus. And Paul knows that if they take the true Jesus and exchange him for a new version of Jesus, they're also going to be exchanging their living hope for another hope, a hope that will ultimately fail them. And they will lose, even though they are believers, they will lose the confidence and the steadfastness that they, they need for this life. In fact, Paul says, to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 1, 23, he pleads with them at the end of our chapter, he pleads with them and he says, continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, be faithful, not shifting, he says, from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. Continue in the faith, stay faithful, continue in the hope, don't shift, there's a possibility, there's an opportunity that you and I, having put our faith in the risen Christ, as we live our lives, if we're not careful, can shift, can swerve, if you will, from the faith we first received to another faith, can shift, can swerve from the hope that we have in Christ to another hope. Paul recognized that as a reality for the Colossians. We must recognize that as a reality for us. And consequently, we, we want to ask this question. How can faithfulness to Christ stay faithful and hope stay hopeful? Especially in a world like ours. Especially when, and the best way I know how to put it, especially when you can't always see the hand of God at work. How do you stay faithful? How do you stay hopeful when you can't always see God's promises being fulfilled? How do you stay faithful? How do you stay hopeful when your uh, expectations resting on the uh, gospel aren't immediately met. How can faithfulness to Christ stay faithful and hope stay hopeful in a world like ours is the question. We find a very clear answer to this question in the opening words of Paul's letter to the Colossians. And so today I want to speak to you about how faithfulness can remain strong 
throughout the seasons of life and even get stronger in a broken world. Faithfulness can remain faithful and get even stronger in spite of a broken world, but I want you to see how that happens. So let's take our Bibles, and we want to turn this morning to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 14. You'll find that on page 983 in the worship Bibles that are provided for you underneath your chair or underneath the chair in front of you. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. And here we find Paul, after he's affirmed the faithfulness and the hope that the Colossians have, after he has encouraged them in that, he goes on to tell them something that is very significant for us. He says, passionately. He says, I, since the very first time I heard about you and I heard about your faith and your faithfulness and your hope in Christ, from the very first time I heard about your faith and I heard about these new teachers with their new Jesus, I have prayed passionately. There hasn't been a moment when I haven't prayed for you. I have been so concerned for you. I've prayed nonstop for you. And this is what I've prayed. Look at chapter 1, verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we haven't stopped praying. We haven't ceased to pray for you. Asking for something very specific. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in this broken world with all of these options and all of these opportunities so that you might walk, verse 10, in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to the, his glorious might for all endurance and all patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light who has delivered us from the domain of darkness, verse 13, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What does faithfulness need to remain faithful? What does hope need to remain hopeful? Paul shows us three things here. A full knowledge of God's will a wise pursuit of God's will, and finally, a glad obedience to God's will. If these conditions are present in a believer's life, faithfulness will remain faithful, hope will remain hopeful, but if any of these are missing, faithfulness will slip and hope will be lost. A full knowledge of God's will that leads to a wise pursuit of God's will and ultimately issues in a glad obedience to God's will is what keeps the faithful faithful. When a job is lost, when a loved one dies, when the diagnosis is frightening, when life is not what it was, when the social and political and economic dynamics 
are working against us. Faithfulness stays faithful and hope stays hopeful when we have a full knowledge of God's will, a wise pursuit of it, and a glad obedience to it. Let me unpack that for you this morning. Let's begin, first of all, with a full knowledge of God's will. Paul says, verse 9, and so from the first day we heard, we haven't ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with a knowledge of his will. Glad for their progress, glad for, 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 for the people they are right now, glad for all that they've demonstrated. Paul wants to challenge them to press on. And he says, in order for you to move ahead in your faith, you've got to have a full knowledge, a full knowledge of God's will. You're never going to grow strong without a full knowledge of God's will. Now, for those of you who have been and are followers of Jesus, you will know that one of the great questions is, how do I know God's will? How do I know God's will for my life is often a question that we ask, particularly when we're younger. How do, how do I know God's will uh, for my life? Who, who should I date? Who should I not date? How do I know God's will for my life? What sports should I try out for or not? You know, what, uh, how do I know God's will for my life when it comes to college, when it comes to somebody to marry? How do I know... Uh, God's will for my life when it comes to, to finding my first job. How do I know God's will for my life is, is a burning kind of issue and uh, uh, one that we face. This is not the will that Paul's speaking of. Paul is actually, when he says, I'm praying for a full knowledge, that you will have a full knowledge of God's will, he, he's looking well beyond God's particular will for a particular life. He's looking far beyond what God has and wants for individuals, but he's looking at what God's will is for the world, for the universe, for the cosmos. He's, he's looking at a far broader picture. And so Paul says, from the first day, I learned of your faith and your faithfulness. I've been praying. I've been praying that you would know God's will. I've been praying, watch this now, listen carefully. Not, not that you will simply know what God wants from you and what God wants from the world, but I, I'm, I'm wanting you to know to the full, watch now, what God wants for you and for the world. I want you to know what God wants and what he is about and why he is about what he's about. I want you to understand God's design, God's purpose, God's plan, God's intentions, both for you as his people and for this world and for this cosmos. I, I want you to know what God is ultimately all about because it is only when you know what God is ultimately all about that the Colossians will be able to live all of their lives through all of the seasons of life and through all of the challenges of life well. It's only going to be when they understand what God is ultimately about that they're going to understand how to make it through a broken world 
littered with broken hopes with their own faith and faithfulness and hope unshaken. You've got to keep God's, Paul is saying, bigger picture in mind as you live your life, and you need to see it and understand it. So what Paul is praying for is that the Colossians would know, first of all, that God is an unchanging God, that he has an intentional design for everything, that he has an unshakable purpose behind his design, that he has an undefeatable plan, and that he has the uh, clear intentions to see his plan through to the end. But Paul's also asking God to help the Colossians see and know fully how his design and purpose and plan and intentions are going to be and are being worked out. This is what Paul means by a full or a clear understanding of God's will. Now I want you to hear me. Please hear me. Especially if you were raised in church, especially if you've been a believer for a while, maybe for a long time, I want you to hear me. A John 3.16 kind of faith might save you, but it won't make you strong and it won't make you faithful. That is at the very heart of the gospel without question. But there is more that you and I need to know. A Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Won't make a believer strong and faithful. It too is a grand statement of faith but in a world where hope is in short supply and life is fragile, and this is Paul's point, believers need to know specifically what the God of the Bible is about, what he's doing right here, right now, what he's done, yes, in the past, what he's doing right now in the present, and what he's going to do in the future. They need to know what he intends for them and for this world in Christ Jesus. In other words, they need to know to the full the inside story. They need to know fully the story that this God of the universe is absolutely committed to telling and bringing into reality. If you want to understand human history, you've got to understand that human history is God's story. The story of history is God's story. He started the story. He is continuing the story and he's going to finish the story. This God who has all the power there is, is committed to seeing the story that he started finish the way he intends for it to finish. Okay. So you've got to understand what his story is. If you don't understand the story, you're vulnerable. It isn't enough, hear me say this again, to know for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son 
that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It is the foundation. It is absolutely the bedrock foundation. You've got to start there, but you can't stay there. You can't stay there. Now, here's where I'm going to lose you, and I'm going to go ahead and confess that. So I, I, I challenge you to stay with me because I'm going to lose you. I'm going to be as careful as I can not to lose you, but some of you are going to check out, and you shouldn't check out. You're going to be tempted to. So I warned you, right? Okay, I warned you, right? Stay with me. Here we go. This story that God is committed to telling to the very end is a story centered on Christ. It, it is known as the gospel story. And if you were raised in church, if you've been a believer for a while, chances are very good that you have heard it. Chances are good that you believe it, just like the Colossians had and, and did. The Colossians had heard it. They had believed it truly. But the question is, did they know it fully? I run into people all the time. And I have all of my ministry life who had roots in the church and their parents took them to church and whatnot, had roots in, in, in the Christian faith. And uh, I will ask them, well, uh, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And they will say, yes. And I said, well, when did that happen? Well, when I was a boy or a girl or whatever, and uh, I gave my life to Christ. And I said, well, that's, you know, that's great. That's terrific. And so I, I will ask them, um, if, if you were to meet someone who came from a non-Christian culture and they were to come to you and say, uh, I notice there are a lot of Christians in, in, in the United States and, and, uh, and I understand that you're a Christian, and they were to come to you and say, how, how, would you, how, how does a person become a follower of Jesus? What would you say? And so many times, I've had adults say, you've got to invite Jesus into your heart, or you've got to believe in Jesus and ask him to forgive you of your sins. As if somehow, all of those things are going to be immediately understood by a person who doesn't understand the gospel story. You got to do what with your heart? Why is sin a problem? Do you remember when you were uh, younger and you watched your parents drive the car? Do you remember that? And you couldn't wait to drive? Do you remember that? 
You just wait to get in that car and take off and leave your parents far behind. Do you remember that? Evidently, okay, a few of you do. I remember it well. I can remember watching my parents drive and thinking that was going to be a piece of cake. Thinking, actually, that I knew how to drive because I had seen them drive so many times. I knew it was a piece of cake. You get the keys, you stick it in the thing, and you turn the thing, and, and then you reach up and you pull the thing down, and, and then you press on that thing, and, and, and the thing goes. Well, it was to be a piece of cake. The first time you get behind the wheel of that automobile that weighs over a ton, it doesn't take you very long to know that what you thought you were an expert in because you had watched it so many times, you weren't an expert in. Just because you've watched it doesn't mean you can do it. I can remember as a boy watching the Olympics and deciding I wanted to be an Olympian, that I wanted to be a runner. I watched, I don't know, it was, it, I watched and watched and watched the Olympics one year and I got out in my, in my, in my uh, street and I decided I'm, I'm going to start training now because they said on television that if you're going to be an Olympian, you've got to start now. I said, I've been watching them run. I, I know how to do that. I'll never forget the first hill I ran down and then turned to run back up. It killed me. And I figured out this is not nearly as easy as watching it on TV. There are a lot of us who have been in the church and we've heard the gospel story over and over and over again and we think we know it and we don't. And when we're pushed to try to explain the knowledge that we have of the gospel, we, we find ourselves sputtering and reaching all the way back to our earliest days because we've never really grown in our understanding of the story that God's telling. Now, why that's so frightening is Paul says, without a full knowledge of God's will, there's no way we'll be faithful. There's no way we'll stay hopeful. So the question is not whether you and I believe it. If we do, that's good. It makes an eternity's worth of difference. It doesn't really matter how many times we've heard the gospel story, the question is, do we know it? Do we understand it so deeply that we can live out of it? Now, the gospel story is the story of a God who, both loving and holy at creation, out of his love and out of his goodness, created a good and perfect world and placed humanity in it. It's the story of a loving God who at the fall, in spite of his love and in spite of his goodness, saw his good creation tainted and broken by our human choice to sin against him and die rather than live. 
The gospel story is the story of a loving and holy God who acted to redeem sinners, who out of his continuing love and goodness gave humanity two gifts. Gave humanity the gift of his law so that we might know what his holiness really looked like and how deep our sin really was. And then after proving to us his holiness and our inability to be holy by way of his law, gave to us his son who did for us what we could not do by fulfilling God's law in our place and taking our penalty for having violated that law so that having lived the life we should have lived, died the death we deserve to die, God might forgive us and accept us and welcome us as his own children set free of our sin, made holy in Christ. But the story's not done. This same Jesus who lived and was crucified has been raised and has ascended to heaven. He now sits at the right hand of the the throne of God the Father. He is Lord of all, and one day he will come again, gather his people to himself, and ultimately will restore the rule of God over this world and this cosmos, this universe. The scripture says all of creation began with Jesus. He made all things that were made. All of history began with Jesus. All of history will conclude with Jesus. And between the beginning and the end, he has done all that we need so that God's story might become our story. And together we might share in his story. And I'm just going to say it because I'm a preacher and his glory, it rhymes and it's true. that we might share in his story and his glory for all eternity. Now, you're going to say, I know that. Don't, you don't want to say that today. Because I might be tempted to look at you and say, okay, stand up and repeat that. Just because we've heard it doesn't mean we know it. Now you say, okay, all right, pastor, all right, you've made your point, you've made your point, I'm going to study. Good, 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 I I want you to. But why why is this so very critical? 
Why is this so very critical, this story of God, knowing it? Knowing that God is committed to telling this story to the very end. Well, it is because the essence of the gospel is that God, in telling this story, effectively wants to include us in it and wants us to be a part of it. And you can't be a part of a story that you don't understand, which explains why Paul, secondly, prays that the Colossians will have a wise pursuit of God's will. Do you see it at the end of verse 9? And he says, and so from the day we heard, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking that you will be filled with a knowledge of his will, that you'll have a complete understanding of the gospel. In all, and notice how he finishes, in or alongside all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Watch this. Having heard of the Colossians' faith and faithfulness to Christ and of their hope in him, Paul not only prays that they will know all of God's story, but that they would have all of the spiritual wisdom and understanding they need to live their lives on the basis of that story. In other words, to find their place in God's plan, in God's story, and actually live it out as God unfolds it. You see, this is the point of your life and my life. The point of your life and my life is not to write our own story. Your story is only as good as the author who is writing it. We tried to write our own story and we messed up. And the end result of it is death. God is writing a story of life and he invites us to come into his story and join him. But that means that he has to become the author, not us. And so when we come to a personal living faith in Jesus, what's happening is we are personally yielding, giving our stories over to God and saying, you be the author. Help me find my way into your story. Now you say, well, how did you get all of that out of this? Well, let me show you. Paul says, I'm praying that you will have a full knowledge of God's will and that alongside it you will have spiritual wisdom and understanding. Spiritual wisdom here is the ability to recognize what the truth of the gospel story means in any given situation. So as I'm living my life and I come to this challenge or to this question... When I have spiritual wisdom, it means that I'm able to see my circumstance, to see my situation through and as a part of this story God is telling. Now, I'm going to illustrate this for you in just a minute. Understanding that follows this spiritual wisdom, the ability to recognize the truth of the gospel and what it means in any given situation... Understanding is the ability to make good Christ-honoring decisions in every situation based on that gospel truth. 
So, so in other words, Paul's prayer is that the Colossians might be able to see and understand their lives as well as the political, the economic, the social, and the spiritual conditions they find in their world in terms of the gospel story. And then he's praying that they will apply the truths of the gospel to life however they find it. So, so in all of life, believers are able to ask and answer the question, how does the gospel apply to this situation in my life? What does it require that I be? What does it require that I do? If it's true that God created a good and perfect world and placed humanity in it, and if it's true, then, then I know that God's power is real. I know that his heart is for me and for the world. I know that his intentions are good intentions. And that means that everything I encounter in this fallen world Ultimately, that is not as God would have it to be, will one day be corrected. That's a gospel truth. And I also know as I live in this world and I encounter anything that is good and beautiful and true, it is also an evidence of God's beauty, good and truth. It is also a proof of who my father is. So regardless of what I'm experiencing, if it's something wonderful and good, I praise God for that because I know that every good and perfect gift according to the gospel comes from him. And when I come up against brokenness and hurt and pain, I immediately understand that to be an evidence of what God did not want, of what sin has brought, and of what God has pledged himself to fix, to restore, and heal. That's how I live out the gospel with my life. I am looking at my life, my situation, my circumstances. I'm looking at my world through the truth of the gospel story. It's on the basis of the gospel story of God's creation of the world, of the resurrection of his son defeating death, that I'm able to look at life and I'm able to say all things are possible. Nothing is impossible for him. That means that every one of his promises is going to be kept and, 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 uh, and, and proved true today, tomorrow, or in the future, but it's coming. It means that because God is telling this story and he has a design, a design in which all things ultimately will be brought back under his rule and control in Jesus Christ, it means that ultimately all things will work together for good to them who love him and are called according to his purpose. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Do you see what I'm saying? That's what the gospel means. And it means then that I embrace and encounter every aspect of life with a very different perspective because I have a growing and, 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 and increasingly deeper understanding of what the story is and what the story means. 
But I've got to get past John 3.16. And I've got to get beyond Jesus loves me, this I know. I've got to see the bigger story. And I have to choose to live in it. God giving me the wisdom and the understanding as I choose to live my story and his story to do it faithfully and to do it well. Now, when you have that underneath you, that story, that foundation, guess what happens to your life? You become stable. You don't swerve. You don't shift. When life gets hard and you can't trace God's hand in the situation you're in. Because you know his intent, his purpose, and his plan, even when you can't trace his hand, you're trusting his heart. You're trusting his power. You don't have that foundation. It's easy to lose your footing. It's easy to shift your faith to something else you can see, taste, touch, or feel. Something that will ultimately leave you hopeless. If you, if you really want to, to understand why we've launched this resource center, it's for this very reason, because we have so many who name the name of Jesus who don't know how. And, and it's not their fault. The churches didn't teach them, didn't instruct them. The gospel was just something to receive at the beginning and then forget about. When the Bible presents the gospel story as something to be lived in and lived out. And if we don't know that, we find our lives being lived very dangerously in a world where hope is in short supply. There's a third thing that Paul seeks for, the, uh, seeks for the Colossians, and that is a glad obedience. In fact, I would say to you this, that a full knowledge of God's will opens the way for a, uh, a pursuit of God's will. It, it gives us the opportunity to find our place in God's story, and then it brings certain consequences 
I want you to see those with me, verses 10 to 14. With this full knowledge of God's will, with a wise pursuit of it, Paul says the result will be that the Colossians walk or live, verse 10, in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And what does it look like? Well, they're bearing fruit in every good work, and they're increasing in the knowledge of God. Uh, They're being strengthened, verse 11, with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. They're doing it with joy, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us, Paul says, from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we now have redemption and now have the forgiveness of sins. So Paul is saying, look, here is ultimately the end for which I'm praying. I want you to be strong. I want you to be stable. I want you to be able to say no to the new Jesus, say yes to the true Jesus, say no to the temptations, to put your faith in something less than Jesus. I want you to live a life that is worthy of Christ. I want you to live a life by which you can truly please the Father. And I want you to do it applying the gospel story to your life story and obeying its call to live in sync with God's design and purpose for your life. And when you live in sync with God's design and purpose, when you're living, encountering all of life with the gospel, what you begin to find is that your life becomes, Paul says, fruitful. There are good works that start to flow out of your life that speak of the goodness of God. There is a godly character that begins to spill out of your life that speaks of the uh, character of God. Paul says, verse Uh, 11, when you're living in that life, you're living in obedience to the gospel, you're living out of the gospel, there will come into your life a strength. You will be able, Paul says, verse 11, to endure all things with loyalty to Christ, and you'll be able to be patient, and that's particularly patient with his people with love. You'll be able to bear hard things for Christ without giving up on Christ. You'll be able to put up faithfully and lovingly with God's people in their imperfections, their messiness, their unpleasantness, and their unfaithfulness. You'll keep loving God's people even when they aren't loving toward you. And you'll stay loyal to Jesus even when it costs you. And you'll do all of this, verses 12 to 14, with joy and with gratitude. And I love the way Paul ends this here. Gospel-pursuing, gospel-story-living believers are able to live glad and grateful lives of obedience in everything because ultimately of what they know. What they know about God, what they know about Christ, what they know about the future, the present, and the past. Paul says, I'm praying that you will have a full knowledge of God and that you will have a wise pursuit of his will that you'll know the gospel story, that you'll live 
in and part of the gospel story. And I'm praying that so that you might have a glad obedience as a marker of your life, knowing what you know. And what do they know? In verse 12, Paul says, believers know what's coming for them. It is an inheritance. So as I'm living my life, I know what the end looks like. I know what the end looked like. And you know what my inheritance is. Do you know what my inheritance is? No, 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 no. It's not streets of gold. No, 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 no. It's not gates of pearl. No, 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 no. Do you know what my inheritance is? My inheritance that's kept for me in heaven? An inheritance that cannot be taken away from me? Do you know what my inheritance is? Do you know what your inheritance is? Our inheritance is Jesus himself. I know what's coming for me. With this full knowledge, I I know what has come to me. Paul says in verse 13, it is a deliverance. I've been set free of the past. I know what is available now in the present for me. Verse 14, a freedom and, and a forgiveness are mine. So in a world where hope is in very short supply and life is fragile, believers who know the inside story, the story of the God of the universe, the story that he is committed to telling through to the very end, believers who live their stories as a part of this greater story, believers who, whose lives are lived worthy of Jesus, these are the ones whose faithfulness stays faithful, whose hope stays hopeful. These are the ones who don't swerve. These are the ones who don't shift. These are the ones who stand strong and stable. These are the ones who are able to say what the Apostle Paul said when he said, I know whom I have believed in, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him until that very day. In him, I put my trust. So how can faithfulness to Christ stay faithful and hope stay hopeful? Here's the point of today's message. Faithfulness and hope remain when history and our life stories are seen as God's story to tell from beginning to end. Faithfulness and hope remain when history and our life stories are seen as God's story to tell from beginning to end. Lord, here is my life. Take my story. I resign as author.
you write my story. Father God, I thank you that in this uh, world of hopeless hope and faithless faith, You are committed to completing the good story that you started when you first created the heavens and the earth. And that it is your heart, it is your plan to gather up for yourself a people who belong to you. To make them new and to place them again in a restored heaven and a restored earth that it is in your heart to heal what is hurting, to restore what is broken, to make all things new. And by your grace and for the sake of your glory, you've chosen to begin your work of restoration, of making all things new, by making people new first. And giving them a chance to enter into your story now and be themselves a part of what you're about in this world. Oh, Father, give us a higher, grander view of your big picture so that we might live faithfully, and with hope. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.